You can be seated, and we're going to start in Genesis 12. I'm going to show you something from the life of Abram, and we're still talking about consciously co-creating. And I want to talk to you this morning um, about the gift of your imagination. Now, I've kind of been all over the map in Christian experience. But most of my formative stuff comes from real fundamentalism, <laughs> and particularly Pentecostal fundamentalism, uh, <clears throat> kind of the no-fun zone of Christianity, <laughs> right? Um, and I was, t- I don't know how many remember kind of the hyper-demon thing came through. I don't know if anybody can relate to this. We kind of went through it a little bit uh, in our church as well a decade ago or so. But um, particularly, you know, there was books like Pigs in the Parlor and uh, there was one written, He Came to Set the Captives Free. And uh, I don't know if any of you remember that stuff. And like everything was wrong. <laughs> like like everything, was, everything was filled with darkness. But one of the things that, that was emphasized in that particular movement in the street. And it was funny. I remember going to, just for some of you that can't relate to this at all, uh, be thankful. Um, I went to a Signs and Wonders conference at, that Mike Bickle was doing in Kansas City. And he had uh, this guy, he had this guy from Australia. And a lot of the hyper-deliverance stuff came out of Australia. God bless him. Wonderful continent. Nothing against him. But um, this guy was Australian. And literally, they would hand out barf bags because as you're going through deliverance, you're supposed to throw up and expel them. That's that. Yeah, been there, done that. Um, and and everything was demonic. So he would talk about, you know, the demon of trauma. And uh, I remember during his message and he was talking about how he almost got into a car accident. And so, so it didn't get in a car accident, but almost got in a car accident, was traumatized from almost getting into the car accident. And so had to go grab his barf bag and go through a deliverance because that trauma opened a door to a spirit of trauma to come on him. So he had to go through, take himself through a, a deliverance session with his barf bag. And like everybody's like saying this with a straight face. All right, let's try it again. Um, <laughs> I'm just telling you, that was an experience that I had. I was just like, wow, this is interesting. Um, and then there were all kinds of different ways you could get stuff. But anyway, one of the ways you could definitely pick up stuff, you know, from the other kingdom was by the use of your imagination. How many of you remember that? So any kind of visualization, any kind of guided imagery, any kind of use of the imagination. And there's a verse in the King James Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that talks about casting down imaginations. And so we thought we just had to take our whole imagination and throw it in the, in the garbage dump. And so I remember... I was probably about 2005. I did kind of a meditation, guided visualization thing. And man, people freaked out. You know, I was of the devil for sure. And so I just kept that to myself for, 
But, but I, so here's the thing that's kind of funny about that. So after like 17 years or, or longer or probably 20 some years of being a Christian and using my imagination consciously to connect with God, to do some of the things that I'm teaching you uh, as we're going through this series about conscious co-creation, I can honestly say that for the mass, vast majority of times that I used my imagination, uh, my life was benefited and improved and other people's lives were benefited and improved. And to the best of my knowledge... Contrary to their books, I don't have any demons floating around uh, inside of me that I'm expecting to puke out any time soon. So, <laughs> but did you, some of you remember this? You, you kind of know what I'm talking about. And so, so I was taught, I was taught, you know, don't use your imagination. Now that's really a hyper extreme. But really, even in our culture, because um, I was a daydreamer, man, I was a daydreamer and a pretender and a player. Uh, I meant I like to play. <laughs> watch your vernacular. Um, <laughs> as a little kid, right? <laughs> and so, and so, and, and, and you're taught, no, you've got to pay attention. You know, you got to pay attention in school. And I had a really hard time with math because math and the imagination and play to me just did not go together. Like I could do really well in history because I could use my imagination. I did really well in English because I could read literature and use my imagination. I could write because I'm using my imagination. I get into math. I'm like, yeah. And I could not pay attention. And so you're kind of, you get these bad messages about don't daydream, don't pretend. We, we think about it as fantasy or fantasizing. And so we think about the use of the imagination as something that leads you away from reality into unreality. Now here's the funny thing. Let me just go back, back up a little bit with the whole demon people thing. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know how else to describe it. Hyper deliverance thing. Because here's the thing. Like, so I'm using my imagination and I'm not getting a demon. So here's the thing. That means the people, now follow this carefully, the people who say you get a demon by using your imagination are imagining demons that aren't there. They absolutely are. So they're using their imagination to tell you not to use your imagination because you're going to get a demon because they're imagining demons that don't exist. Those demons are byproducts of their imagination. So who's really demonized here? I don't... Maybe they really are coughing something up into that bag. I don't know. Besides phlegm. Are you breathing? Do you get it? I said this in the first service. You know, J.R. Tolkien, if you've read that stuff, he created a whole world, right? Out of inspiration. And there are preachers... And teachers in every religious stream that create a whole world out of their imagination. And we confuse inspiration with revelation. So not everything that's inspired is divine. Or not everything that's inspired is truth. And we have to be able to discern the difference. Right? Get it? But your imagination is gift. And it's interesting, you know... We come packaged with what we need in order to function as the image of God, but then we're conditioned into shutting those things down. And so if you've not embraced your imagination, if you've not developed your imagination, if you've not developed the use of your imagination, then a part of your soul is starving and atrophied and shut down. And you're not as expansive of a person as you can be. And you will not be able to reach and fully develop your potential as a child of God. Because children come with spiritual 
predispositions that we shut off and shut down. And if you're not careful, if your imagination is starved too much, you won't be able to dream at night or remember your dreams because that function is so paralyzed. So, your imagination is a gift. (laughs) Now listen to this before we look at Abraham. Listen to this from Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein said this, Imagination is more important than knowledge. For knowledge is limited to all we now know and understand. While imagination embraces the entire world and all there ever will be to know and understand. You know how he says he postulated his theory of relativity? In his imagination, he wrote a beam of light at the speed of light to the end of the universe (laughs) and then worked his way back. And when he worked his way back in his imagination, he came up with the theory of relativity. Interesting, huh? You'd be amazed to hear the stories of how many people, through the use of their imagination or dreams, developed breakthroughs in technologies that made them millionaires. <laughs> Who's the peanut guy? The guy that came up with all the different uses for the, the peanut? I can't remember. Yeah, same thing. A lot of that came from a dream, just thinking about the potential in a peanut. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get back to Abraham. Genesis 12, we'll get back in the Bible and make you feel better. <laughs> Genesis 12. It said, now, the Lord, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. I want you to notice that Lot went with him. Now I want you to come with me to Genesis 15. So you have 13 and 14, you have the rest of 12, you have 13 and 14. It's Abraham's journey with Lot, basically, into the land that God would show him. And then in verse uh, 1 of chapter 15, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So here's the thing. We're, we are always... Okay, so what I want to talk to you about is your active, creative imagination. The fact that we are always using it and projecting it onto our circumstances. And the ability to escape from that and use it consciously and powerfully on purpose to create... 
a different projection that will then change your world. That's a lot to say in one breath. So I'm going to say it again, just so it kind of sinks in. I want to talk to you about the fact that we're always using our imagination and projecting onto our reality. It's like the world out here is, is, exists, and then we take our picture and we project it onto the world out here. And what happens is, is we relate to, we respond to and relate to the world through our projection that we create and put out here. That then keeps us limited. So example, here, Abram, uh, what are you going to give me, Lord, seeing I go childless? Now watch what he does with his future. And Eleazar of Damascus will be one of my heirs. So he, he can't actually see that, but he's projecting what he's imagined for himself based on what he knows, based on his knowledge. And he's projecting that, and he's relating to God out of the projection of his imagination. Are you breathing? Do you see it? And then the Lord steps into that projection and says, no, get out of that. It won't be Eleazar of Damascus. It'll be one from your own body. Come out and look at the stars of the sky. Feed your imagination on something else. Look at something different so that you feed your imagination on something else because that's how it's going to be. And after he does that, he believes in the Lord and it says he accounted it to him for righteousness. And unfortunately... The, the way we understand that, we understand that from a moral perspective, but what it's saying there in the Hebrew is, is basically, as you've imagined it, so shall it be. In other words, that's right viewing and right seeing, so therefore, I'm shifting things in your direction towards your perfection, not towards your moral standing. Because his perfection was for his name to be made great. His perfection was for him to be the father of many nations. His perfection was in you and in your seed will all the family of the earth be blessed. So he's imagining what God said, but he can't see the seed because he's stuck in an imagination of what can happen. So God says, get out of that projection and begin to feed the imagination on something else and project something differently. And when he projected it differently, God credited it to him as his perfection or as God saw him. You see it? So that then he could manifest it. But both are projections. You can see it in the story of the children of Israel when they, when they come out of the wilderness. You've got, I love the story, we don't read it carefully, um, but if you read it carefully, when Moses sends spies into the land, they come back with their report. And they say, it's true, the land is good, here's some of the fruit of it, but there are giants over there, there are strongholds over there, and we are as grasshoppers in our own eyes. And then one person comes back. Who's Caleb? We say it's Joshua and Caleb, but it's not. Joshua was on the fence. That's why God had to repeatedly tell Joshua, be strong and of a good courage in chapter 1. It's really just Caleb. One guy comes back and says, no, God will go with us. We, will, we are well able to take the land. They will be like food for us. So one group is looking, so you got 
Ten people looking at the situation one way and saying, no, we will be devoured. It is a land that devours its inhabitants. They're, in their imagination, they're seeing themselves devoured and they are projecting that onto reality. You have Caleb who comes back with a different imagination and says, no, God will go with us and we will be well able to take the land. But he is also projecting his imagination onto the situation. And then you got Joshua stuck in the middle. And he eventually comes over to Caleb's side. Right? So here's what goes. So he spreads, they spread an evil report to all of Israel, and they say, God hates us. That's why he brought us in the wilderness to die. They've created a story. They've created an imagination, and they've projected it onto their reality. Do you see it? Now, here's the thing. They were both right. Because God tells the ten and that generation, none of you will enter the land. So you know what happened? God brought them out to die in the wilderness. He says, but my servant Caleb, who had a different spirit and who followed me fully, he and Joshua shall possess the land. Why? Because they projected a different imagination. So here's the thing. God confirmed them both. That's the power of your imagination. I knew a a fireman. um, I remember... uh, bought a house and made sure that the bedrooms for the kids were on the first story on the floor so that they had an easy exit, right? So what's his imagination been fed on? It's a first responder. It's been fed on those, right? Now, insurance companies would make no money at all if that happened to everybody, (laughs) right? That is not a regular occurrence, Otherwise, forget it. You wouldn't even, fire insurance wouldn't even exist, or house, home, homeowner's insurance. You tracking with me? But it's impressed on his imagination so strongly because he's seen the exceptions, not the rule. So now, when he's buying a house, when I'm buying a house, I'm thinking, wow, can we afford this? Man, look, we've got three rooms up here. Man, this would be really cool. We could put the kids up here, bunk beds. Right? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, we've got to have smoke alarms because that's... The law now, or whatever. We got smoke alarms in every room, right? So you burn the the Thanksgiving dinner, and those things are going off and driving the dogs nuts, and right. But a fireman sees that, and what what happened? What is he projecting? He's projecting on that. It's not real. That house is not on fire when he's looking at that house. But he's taking his imagination and he's projecting it on, and then making a decision not based on the reality of the situation, but based on a potential reality that exists out there somewhere that he's imagining in his mind. See, here's the point. For Israel, the potential reality that God would bring them out to die in the wilderness is exists. But the potential reality that God would take them all the way into the promised land also exists. And they get to choose, and whichever one they focus on is the one they experience. Now, this is why intention is so powerful. Because... You, the, the, the creative, intentional use of your imagination is more powerful because intention is involved in creation. 
whatever you intend, whatever you intend will be done. That's actually what it says. We, we translate it whatever you ask, but it's whatever your intention is that you will have. So when you're looking at something you're worrying about, your intention is not aligned with it. Your intention is to get away from it. So that's why very often the thing you fear does not come upon you. But when you're using it in a positive way, you're bringing all your energies, all the capacities of your soul into alignment with what you desire. And so desire carries a much stronger creative charge because it comes from the place of love than fear. And we should all be thankful for that. Otherwise, us warriors would be in constant trouble. Because <laughs> worry is the use of the imagination. You cannot worry without your imagination. And the more imaginative you are, the more detailed your imagination, the more real that worry can seem to you. And the more real that worry seems to you, the more likely you are to take action to prevent that worry from happening. You're actually pretending because the word pretend, think about just what it means, is to tend to something before it happens. So the fireman who looks at the house and says, I'm not going to buy a house where all the bedrooms are on the top floor. I'm going to buy them where all the bedrooms are on the bottom floor is pretending there's a fire in the house. But he's tending to the situation before it happens. See it? I go into the same house and I'm seeing my kids hanging from the... <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't want a second floor because I could see them. Doing something that involves a rope or a string or a, and a person. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretending. Get it? We do it all the time. You see how, I mean, we just, we do it all the time. But here's our, here's our problem I think in the church, we've not, we've not created space for the development and the feeding of the imagination as a spiritual and creative faculty that supersedes knowledge. So here's how I was taught to... to let's see. How do I want to do this? Okay, so let's come back to Abram, and then I'll come to that at the end. But let, let's come back to Abram. Get, here's our thing. Our projections, just like the fireman, his projections were given to him by his experiences. And here's the difference between, and I'm not saying he's wrong to do that with the house. He may very well be right. It's not a right or wrong issue. But it depends on whether or not there is a conscious development and choice and use of the imagination or whether you are trapped in the imaginations that were given to you, watch this, by your family, by your countrymen, and by your father's house. See, immaturity, immaturity is having to be told how to think and what to do. And, and so you have mature people, hopefully, hopefully not kids trapped in adult bodies, <laughs> in a bad way, you know, you know what I mean? In a, in a, in a way that doesn't work for you. Um, that, so immaturity is, Josiah, you know, you have to eat. No, you can't just eat your Halloween candy. You have to eat something good for you. You have to eat something healthy. Yeah, but I don't like healthy. You have to. Right? Um, and so that's, 
That's immaturity, having to be told. Maturity, then, is choosing your own use, your own beliefs, and your own reality, and your own imaginations. So the more I'm consciously aware and choosing, the more mature I am. The less consciously aware that I'm choosing and, and, and choosing, the more immature I am. Same thing with your emotions. Emotions are a gift, but if they run your life, you're emotionally immature because you're not in charge. You see it? So maturity, even in natural things, maturity is the ability to do for yourself. So our problem is, is that our imaginations become programmed by the world around us. So God wants to do something in Abram, but in order for him to be able to do it, he's got to get him out of something to get him into something. Now, we have a tendency to read the Bible simply as a literal historical story because we weren't raised from a Jewish perspective. From a Jewish perspective, there's at least four. There's actually more, but we don't need to get into that. But there's four primary levels of interpretation of Scripture. And the most basic and the most immature is literal. The deepest level is a level that they call the sowed or the secret or the hidden or the mystical levels of Scripture. So here's what they're doing in the stories. Yeah, they're telling stories, but the stories are there not... So that you can have a history lesson. The stories are there with things embedded and hidden inside the stories that as you meditate begin to unfold in order to awaken the imagination and in order to awaken the consciousness so that you can expand in your knowledge of God and in your knowledge of who you are. So let me show you how this works with this. So God says, look, God, God's got to do something in Abram. It's not about his circumstances. It's not, not about that he doesn't have kids or it's not about where he's living or whatever. It's about God wants to do something in him. I want to make you great. I want to make you a father of many nations. I want to bless you. It's about him. It's about his own personal development. But you've got to get out of all that domestication that you had before. So you've got to get away from your culture. You've got to get, you've got to get away from the thinking that was embedded and ingrained in you by the culture around you before I can do in you what I want to do. So, so he tells him, get out of that. But here's the interesting thing. It says, but he brought Lot with him. Everybody say Lot. But he brought Lot with him. Now, on the literal level, you're thinking he brought his cousin with him. Now, watch the immature level of interpretation. God said, get away from your family, and he brings his cousin with him. So he disobeyed God, so that caused problems. Because a child can only think in terms of obedience and disobedience in relationship to the parent. But when a child becomes mature, the relationship changes. So it's no longer about obedience or disobedience, but there's still relationship. So when you read it literally and you say he's bringing his cousin, Law, another person with him, you can only think about it in terms like a child can think about it because that's the most childish level of interpretation. So you put that frame of obedience around it and that's how you read the story. If you look for hidden meanings, the name Law means veil. All right. So the fireman goes to the house and he sees it on fire and he's not going to buy it because he doesn't want to put his kids up here. There's no fire. There is a veil of a fire on his imagination that he is projecting onto the house. You see it? How many of you ever found out that you've not grown spiritually if you haven't had to wrestle with who God is? How many of you realize God is different than you thought about him 10 years ago? Which means that you were relating to God, 
you were pretending with God in a way that he wasn't. You were projecting your own imagination onto how, who, who you thought God was and how you thought he was. Right? That was a veil. So Abram's way of thinking comes to him from the outside in. So he can leave the externals. He can leave town. He can leave the country. He can leave his family. But his veil is going to travel with him. See it? So what happens? (laughs) So while they're traveling, both of them start prospering and reproducing. Until finally they can't exist anymore together. And they come to the same land and they both see the land, but they see it differently. Right? And Lot chooses one side and Abram chooses another. And at that moment, the veil splits. And it's after that, God says, look at the land, all this land that you can see. After Lot left him, God said, see. After the veil left, he could see the land that God was going to give him in the future. But as long as he brought the veil with him, he couldn't see the potential possibility because he'd be projecting something else. Finally, Lot gets into all kinds of trouble with Sodom and whatever, and and Abram has to go rescue him. That's chapter 14. And then Abram kind of rescues Lot, right? And then after these things, then you don't hear of Lot again. After these things, a vision comes to him, a download from heaven. Why? Because the veil has been... You see it? So here's the process. Here's what happens and what people don't understand about the spiritual journey. God will begin you... But you have to be deprogrammed to be reprogrammed. So he will cause something or invite you into something that that the seeking will invite you into a different paradigm. But you still got this old paradigm. You still got this old limited lot veil version of reality traveling with you. And while you're traveling together inside yourself, both are reproducing realities. So on the one hand, God speak, you can see a new future of yourself with God with more abundance. You can see a new future of yourself with God doing things that you didn't do before. You can see a new future of yourself with God having addressed maybe some character issues that you'd like to address. But at the same time, you have the old things and the old thinking and, and both are reproducing. Thank God, because before it was just lot producing. Until finally you get to a point that there's so much strife inside yourself that you have to cut bait and go one way or the other. (laughs) So you finally, maybe, you finally let Lot go. You let, okay, this is scary, this is risky, that land over there doesn't look very prosperous, this land over here looks prosperous and it looks familiar, but I'm going to let Lot go that way and I'm going to trust God and I'm going to go this way and I'm going to let go of what I believed about God, I'm going to let go of what I believed about reality, I'm going to let go of what I believed about myself, I'm going to let go of all the projections that I've been putting on reality, and I'm going to go this way, right? And this is the phase we go through. Everything about that old stuff is wrong. Everything about that old stuff, ugh, that old religion, that old bondage, that old, ugh, just get rid of that veil. And then we find out, no, there are some righteous stuff in that veil. <laughs> and so we hear about Lot having been taken captive. <laughs> but the Bible called him righteous Lot. 
So we realize there are some things from that old system that can be redeemed. There are some things from that old system that can be preserved. There are some things from that old way of thinking. Not everything my parents told me was wrong. Not everything the church taught me was wrong. Not everything religion taught me was wrong. Not e- whatever. Not everything the fire department taught me was wrong. I mean, <laughs> do, do you see it? And so then there's this process of filtering through and redeeming what is righteous in the former paradigm so that the two can come together. And when that happens, then the heavens open. Because you've gotten sorted out inside. So then, after these things, the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. Not like... I mean, you have to understand the way the ancients thought about it. They, They understood visions as being a function of the imagination. For them, the imagination was the spiritual world. So we think it's got to be open panoramic vision to be God. They would actually say that's suspect. Not to say that open panoramic visions are wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's not usually the case. So it comes to him in the use of his imagination. And look what God tells him. He says, you've got to feed your imagination on something else. You've been feeding it on lack. You've been feeding it on Eleazar. It's going to be my heir. Come out and look at the stars of the sky and imagine that that's what your seed is going to be. Pretend with God instead of pretending without God. See, see, Abram's pretending without God. Without God's involvement in my life, it's just going to run its course and here's how it's going to be. But he doesn't know that. It's one potential reality that he's projecting and actually creating. See, God's not going to answer it for him. God's got to get him to create the answer for himself. So he's got to get him out of his projections. No. And got to get him feeding his imagination on something else so that he can develop a different projection so that he can create the reality that God wants him to have. That's why he's called the father of faith. So if I'm stuck in my imagination and I'm just calling out to God, I'm still creating this potential reality from a place of neediness, from a place of lack, from a place of hopelessness, from a place of powerlessness because I'm I'm trapped in my projection of how I think the world works. So I pretend that God's not with me and I pretend this is how it's going to play out. And God's saying, no, you need to come over here and pretend like I'm with you. Pretend like these potential realities can come true. Pretend like there's a a different possibility for you. It's part of the process. But see, a lot of us, we've starved our imaginations. and, And fundamentalist Christians, I know I'm not talking to any but maybe somebody will get the tape or whatever. I don't know how we do it anymore. I'm the medium. Great. Who went to talking about mediums? I'm talking about media. I'm talking about YouTube. I'm talking about Jesus. However we deliver it now. Now I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> But we starve our imaginations. Here's how we starve our imaginations. Don't read any literature. Only read Christian books. Stay away from Tolkien. Stay away from Harry Potter. Stay away from, because all this stuff. Let let me just say this about Harry Potter, because, well, there's witchcraft in Harry Potter. Listen, the real stuff, they keep secret. (laughs) They just do. Nobody's out there putting it out. Anybody that knows it isn't putting it out like that. So just 
Breathe easy. So he says, stay away from all that stuff because that's of the devil. And you're going to get possessed. And so we shut down those capacities. But listen, if, if you're not reading good imaginative fiction, you're going to have a hard time imagining a new future. Well, maybe not, but, but that's going to help you. That's one of the ways that you feed your imagination. You don't feed it with television. Because television and movies is an externalization of the imagination process so that technology is doing it for you in the same way that a bulldozer is an externalization of the shovel process. You're not working your muscles by shoveling, you're driving because it's doing it for you. And so we weaken ourselves spiritually if all we do is sit in front of the TV or movies and let that be our entire imaginative experience because it's doing it for us. We need to get our shovel out, which means we need to get a book <sighs> and sit down and read something that doesn't have anything to do with theology or psychology or self-help or think and grow rich. Listen to music. I, one of the things I used to do as a kid, and I, and I, I quit doing this because I thought it was a sin, but I would put on like music that would stimulate emotion, and I would put my headphones on, and I would close my eyes, and I would imagine yeah. as a way of escape. Thank God for it, because there, <laughs> there were a lot of days I needed an escape. Oh, you're just escaping reality. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and if you were in my reality, you'd be escaping too. Because this is a gift from God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but see, we starve. We, we become so... Okay, the right brain, left brain, you know that's totally a fallacy. Your right brain doesn't produce certain things and your left brain produces other things. It's a metaphor. But you've heard it, right? So left brain thinking is metaphor. Left brain thinking is calculus. <laughs> Algebra. Accounting, self-help books, it's rigid, linear thinking. It's, it's really the foundation of our technological world, right? And then there's right brain thinking. And right brain thinking is imagination. Right brain thinking is, is music. Right brain thinking is, is play. Right brain thinking is, is art, creativity. But what do we do to develop that? And guys, we're the worst. Because you start talking about that right brain stuff and somehow you equate it with feminism being female. And so you keep yourself limited in the capacities that God gave you. And so as Christians, if we really want to develop this stuff, we need to do more right brain stuff. And we need to be okay with listening to music that isn't all just holy, holy, holy and hosanna and glory to God. I'm not trying to be ugly about it. I'm just saying that is so narrow and limited in our thinking. And, and so why did we get the idea? Now I'm talking to recovering Pentecostals. Why did we get the idea that so-called secular music was sinful? I mean, we take the far out extreme of, oh, hail Satan, you know, <laughs> turn the cross upside down and, uh, and, you know, death thrash metal or whatever. And then we lump it all together and say, oh, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feed on. What's wrong with somebody singing a love song about life? What's wrong with somebody singing about tragedy and trial and things that they're going through? It stimulates something in us. Music is there to stimulate those things in us, to invite us to engage life. And we're saying, oh, no, 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 you can't have that. 
It's like you can't have good literature. So we live in these right brain ghettos. Well, I'm serious. We're like we're fed the scraps. Like I got to read. I can only read Ted Decker. Or Frank Peretti. All this other great stuff out there. Oh, no, no, no. Stay here. I can only listen to Hosanna. I can only listen to, you know, the newsboys. It's a ghetto. And then we wonder why we can't muster up any kind of lively spiritual reality and power and And so the more left brain you are, listen, I'm preaching to myself. The more left brain you are, the more you need to engage right brain activities. Go buy an adult coloring book. I'm serious. Take a painting class. Do some art journaling. Dance. Listen to music. Spend time just doing those things for the sheer pleasure of it. Because at the same time, you're feeding and developing and expanding who you are. It's kind of like, Abram, if you, if you allow me, I mean, I'm stretching the metaphor, but if you allow me to stretch it, it's kind of like looking at the stars of the sky. And feeding your, your, yourself on things that are stimulating positive feelings and a different state of consciousness. We were in a... guy going through a divorce we walk into his shop and he's painting and he's got all these other paintings and really beautiful stuff and so i'm commenting on his paintings and stuff and we walk out and julie says i think that was therapy because she knew that he was going through a really bad divorce why is it therapeutic Some of us need to expand our horizons a little bit in order to function the way God created us to function and not be so uptight and religious about it that we can't do it. And somehow think, oh, that's the devil. No, that's somebody's imagination (laughs) at work. (laughs) So Abram, get out of your father's house and from your countrymen and from your own household to a land that I will show you. See, see, we like predictability, don't we? We want God to be predictable. We want our life to be predictable. So we stay stuck in the same patterns. Try different food. That's something else that can stimulate that. Try different food. Stop being so judgmental. Hey, I don't like that. That's terrible. <laughs> Here, I'll try. Yeah, no, I don't like it. Expand your sensory experience. Burn incense for crying out loud. Listen, I'm telling you, we starve ourselves of sensory experiences and then wonder why we can't function. So I'm just trying to give you practical ways that can be fun, that you can grow and develop and mature spiritually at the same time. If I sniff the wrong incense, a demon's going to crawl up my nose. <laughs> and when I go through deliverance, oh man, I'm just going to blow out the biggest noogie you ever saw. 
biggest, greenest, ectoplasmic-looking stuff you can imagine. Came in through the incense. Sorry. I just got you to engage your imagination, though, didn't I? (laughs) I don't know why anybody ever comes back to hear me. Feeding your imagination, feeding your life, feeding your emotional life, allowing yourself to fantasize a little bit, allowing yourself to pretend, allowing yourself to imagine what life would be like, pretending that God was with you in a circumstance. And what would happen if you pretended God was with you when you went to work? I mean, you're not pretending in the sense that we think about it. but But you have to. Which is why, okay, last thing, which is why Abram had to be a foreigner in the land of promise because it had to be unfamiliar to him or it wouldn't be faith. So until you're imagining things that feel totally unfamiliar to you, you're not expanding into the horizons that God wants you to expand into. So some of you are going through this process, right? Some of you are like awakening to different ideas about God. You're awakening to different ideas about who you are. You're awakening to different ideas about, about life. And God is with you in that. But you're still carrying a lot. You're still carrying that old baggage. For me, I'm still carrying that old Pentecostal baggage. <laughs> and both are reproducing and it's like a struggle inside. And I don't know which one to go with. And it's perfectly natural part of the process. And if you just keep staying with what's with what feels right and what feels life giving and what's what's helping you and what's producing for you, eventually you'll get to a point that you can see the difference between what's Lot and what's Abraham in your own life. And be able to let go of your own lot so that the greatness inside of you that God intended can begin to come to the surface. And here's the other thing. For some of you, you've got real struggles. You've got real struggles because trauma damages the use of the imagination. The fireman who goes in repeatedly and has to deal with life-threatening situations and is constantly, any kind of first responder who's constantly in trauma, they cannot help but have their imagination affected by what's going on. And so the more that you were abused, the more that you were, uh, the more trauma that you had in your life, the more fractured your imagination can be. So therefore, the greater the struggle can be for you. But let me just reassure you, the greater the struggle, the greater the potential development. Let me use an alchemist term. The alchemist, if he wants gold, he has to have a lot of lead. If you only have a little bit of lead, you can only transform it into a little bit of gold. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, your sorrow will be turned into joy. I will give you beauty for ashes. It's an even exchange. So if I'm just bringing a little bit of ash, I can only expect a little bit of beauty. If I only got a little bit of sorrow, maybe I can only expect a little bit of joy. But when I understand the alchemical process of God, that he takes the lead and he turns it into gold, that he takes your ashes and turns it into beauty, that he takes your mourning and turns it into joy. Then you can begin to realize the greater the struggle, the greater the potential abundance on the other side. 
if you'll just embrace the process and not quit and not give up. It's the way God works. He doesn't say, I'll get rid of your ashes. He says, I'll give you beauty for ashes. It's a trade. It doesn't say, I'll get rid of your sorrow. He says, I'll take your sorrow and I'll turn it into joy. <laughs> we want to just get rid of it. God wants to transform it. And there is a difference. But I've got to be able to give it to God. And that can be a scary process. Hang in there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your people. Lord, just, I just feel such a, a shower of abundance and blessing and revelation on what we did here today. Father, I just believe there was really deep level things that were imparted that are going to help your people to grow and expand and experience life and abundance in a way that they've not known before. And so, Father, I'm believing that and I'm offering this up to you. We're offering this up to you as a prayer that you would take this, Lord, that you would do this in us, that you would work this process in us where our veils can be um, properly dealt with so that we can see the glory of who you are and we can become the glory of who you intended us to be. And so, Father, we believe for that. We trust you in that process. We trust you in the process that we're at in life. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.